What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Martin, with Intuitive Minds Podcast. This is episode 34. And today's guest, we have CEO of Beat House, Tiffany Star Kumar. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. How's everything going with this COVID? You know, we're navigating around being quarantined and still trying to get work done. And, you know, at this point now, we're in August, so we have some access back to our studio and, and still trying to work a bit while being cautious and quarantining. Now, break down on who Tiffany Star Kumar is and where she's from and where she grew up and how did she start? I grew up in a small town outside of Boston called Lincoln, Massachusetts. And, um, you know, such a small town that we didn't even have a high school, <laughs> not really? enough kids. Yeah. So every, we had a, um, a high school called Lincoln Sudbury, which was located in Sudbury, a neighboring mm-hmm. town, you know, had the same friends from kindergarten through, you know, till I went to NYU and moved to New York for college. And, you know, that at that point, that's when I got immersed into the music industry and working with Kanye. How did that relationship start with Kanye? That relationship started by me not knowing what to do with my life and just, mm-hmm. you know, focused on my classes at NYU and working at a clothing store in New York and trying to get by, but also knowing I wanted to jumpstart and further my career while I was in classes. So I was applying for a bunch of internships Mm -hmm. just across the board, Um, loved the entertainment, you know, internships that were available. And they had something listed on NYU's career site posted by Kanye's cousin. Now at this point in 2002, no one knew who Kanye was. So I was on like maybe interview three before they're like, it's for Kanye West. And I was like, who the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) Best decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously. And then obviously, (laughs) before we get further, what were some of your inspirations growing up? I was an R&B listener. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, Everything from TLC to Boys to Men, the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack. Like, I was into all of that. Um, and then, of course, like, I was at the Puff Daddy and the Family concert. So, mm-hmm. every, you know, all that, Bad Boy, Lil' Kim. But I was always reading the CD inserts back then for the mm-hmm. lyrics. I was always into song lyrics and learning all the lyrics and knowing every word to the song. And, that was my favorite part of enjoying music was writing down and reading the lyrics. And that's what obviously led you to, to, because obviously you're a songwriter. So I could see that attention that you would want to go through that. So now from Kanye West, you went to work with Diddy. How did, how did you meet Diddy? And then you started working with him and making the band. How did that transpire? Yeah, I was in a mode in New York where I was, I, I learned how to hustle. I saw it, you know, from somewhat people around me and, um, you know, from the Kanye crew. And I just was like on hustle mode. You never know who you're going to walk by on the street or who you're going to meet at an open mic or who you're going to meet at an, at an event. And the energy was electrifying. And I just, I, I pulled a fearless mentality out of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my natural instinct is like, I don't like small talk and I'm an introvert and I'm creative, but you know, I became very fearless and I was walking down the street to a vocal coach because I was finding beats on MySpace Mm. and recording demos in like my home studio. And I met a doorman of Diddy's uh, studio called Daddy's House. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this doorman every day would be like, you walk by here every day. What do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a songwriter. And then one day he nodded to one of Puff's A&Rs that was like smoking a cigarette named Conrad mm-hmm. Dimash. And I begged Conrad to listen to my music. And at that point, he finally was like, fine, come upstairs. And I was like, oh my God, my songs aren't ready. And it was just every, all these like producers uh, that I loved, like Mario Winans was up there and the soul diggers. And I was like, oh my oh, God. <laughs> but um, yeah, super high pressure situation. I was like, yeah. all right, I'm just going to play, play what I have. And they loved it. And honestly, I was uh, filming for making the band that next month, like Diddy, like, really believed in my talent, flew me to Miami to work, to film for the show, making the band. So became close with, you know, day 26, I'd mm-hmm. doing a third of that album, Danity Kane, Cassie, mm-hmm. just the whole bad boy roster. And it was great. What are some of your favorite moments during that period of time? <laughs> my favorite moments were, you know, some of it was like just the the trials and tribulations of songwriting because I ate, breathed, and slept it. I would say like when Puff would come back with edits on a song, I'd edit that a verse or a bridge like three different times and then he'd go back to the original. <laughs> and it was like just so crazy but like it was his creative process with mine and you know I got to meet so many other songwriters like like Makiba Riddick at the time who was huge again Mario Winans Danger Hands uh Brian Michael Cox like I've always been a fan of the songwriters even more so than an artist so it, it was really awesome and in that time and there was also just names that ended up blowing up later so like Jason Derulo mm-hmm. had never even dropped a song as an artist, but he was in the studio writing or um, a producer named Malay who ended up executive producing Channel Orange and Blonde for mm-hmm. Frank Ocean was someone I brought in Whew. through that experience. Crazy, crazy. Now, how many songs did you like, how many did you do like per day? Do you remember or was it like count that you can't even remember? I think I capped out at around like three songs per day on average. Mm-hmm. Um, some people do a lot more and some people take a week on one song. So I was somewhere in between. Now, what is your favorite process of, of when you write a, a song for somebody? Ooh, you're bringing me back. Um, it's been so long. There was no favorite process because, you know, songs click in different ways. Sometimes I would just come with a melody on like piano chords um, and that, yes in theory is my favorite process but then sometimes the producer would build around that and it would be shitty like or they just didn't get what i like what not shitty but like what i was envisioning so then you know on the flip side having an amazing track that you know is a finished polished hit track to write over um make made a lot of sense too Mm -hmm. And obviously, how did you try to emulate that other person when you started writing? Like, what was your... Sometimes I would just write demos. Like, some of the Day 26 stuff, I wrote maybe, like, one or two of the songs. I wrote not even realizing I was going to pitch it to Day 26. So mm-hmm. we were just writing, like, male R&B. And, and trying to, like, cut through the clutter of what was out at the time and the feel and all of that generally a lot of writers write melody and then fill in lyrics mm-hmm. I definitely I did that if I was co-writing but for me I, I wrote lyric and melody at the same time mm-hmm. 
and then you moved on to primary wave. Give us that experience as, as VP. Yeah, so I had done so much at that point, you know, I was in my early 20s still, I was on TV as a songwriter, like I was known, but there was so much creative pressure with the writing piece of it and, and, and traveling to LA and I lived in New York at the time and I just wanted a little more stability actually in my life. And I thought I could still continue writing, but like not have the pressure of trying to get placements right. or as I mentioned, like Malay, Frank Ocean's producer and connecting him to the show, making the band. Like I loved that and mm -hmm. discovering writers and producers. So it was a matter of identifying a publishing company that I wanted to work at. And so I discovered Primary Wave. They're small and, you know, they're a large independent because they have huge catalogs, but they were just building their new writer producer roster. And I just kind of cold called and mm -hmm. like got a meeting with Larry Mistel and Justin Shukat who run the company mm -hmm. and just was like, I was on show making the band. I've done this and that. I will stand on tables. I had no experience like working in an office like that or being an A&R, but I led with, you know, my ear and my creativity. And then I also knew a couple people that knew them, mm. got that job, wasn't get paid, getting paid a lot. And then Puff called and said, come A&R for me. And then I got to elevate myself within Primary Wave. And that was a huge win and so exciting for me. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned placements. Uh, now a lot of new artists and a lot of songwriters, they have a difficult time getting, getting a placement out there. What would, you, what would you say would be some advice you would give to get the placement the right way to people? Um, you need a village. So in every way, right? Mm -hmm. So you need a team around you that's helping you pitch, whether it's your publisher or a manager or other songwriters that you've collaborated with. Like step number one, if you've no placements, is like stop trying to get your song to Rihanna. Like collaborate with the collaborators that she's already working with or those collaborators have collaborators. Like work your, it's like, work yourself up this pyramid to the top, mm -hmm. um, I would say, is my best advice. Because mm -hmm. like, like you said, it's, for me, it's like, I used to tell people, it's like, don't ever try to like knock at the front door. Try to always use the side doors to get into the main event sometimes because you need to talk to the small people to get to the upper, you know what I mean? So it, it just takes exactly time. Right. To, it, it takes time to build. And that's one piece of advice that I give people is, don't try to knock in the front door. That's never going to work. Use the side, get to know people, and eventually they'll lead you. I couldn't agree more. And I think to add to that, you know, you never know. Like once you're in like the creative community a little bit and you're sort of collaborating, you don't know who's going to pop off. Mm -hmm. So like I was the least accomplished out of anybody on the show making the band right, at right. that time. Diddy assembled uh, like the you know, Avengers of songwriting for mm -hmm. that show. And mm -hmm. I just made it on by meeting a doorman. Like, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just by walking by every single day. Yeah. That's insane. And then and obviously you mentioned uh, cold, cold, uh, cold call and cold emails as well. Those actually are essential too if you're trying to make it in the industry. Just shoot your shot at because you never know what somebody might need at that moment. So. Yeah, but cold emails without any like substance or strength mm -hmm. to the email my email to primary wave was one sentence long. <clears throat> like I just basically was like, Hey, can I get a meeting? I have contacts and I have relationships that are valuable. Literally. I didn't write, I didn't include my resume. I didn't write a cover letter. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. And then from then, you moved on to Universal Music Publishing. What was that experience? I signed to Universal with two women, Jessica Rivera and Ethiopia. Both of them are killing it right now. Jessica mm-hmm. Rivera is now you know, head of artist relations at YouTube and Ethiopia's president at Motown. And Mm -hmm. at that time, they were both at Universal Music Publishing. I had met Jessica years prior from helping shop um, John Legend's project when he was signed to Kanye when she was working at Def Jam. And Def Jam's offer wasn't as good as Columbia, where Mm -hmm. John ended up signing. So I knew her, I was familiar with her. I needed someone to collect my royalties. I needed an advance being that Royalties take a long time to come in. And so I made a deal with Universal. Are you still with Universal or did you move on forward with that? When you're in a publishing deal, you could be in a publishing deal for a super long time. So mm-hmm. I think technically I'm still in that deal, even though I'm an inactive writer. And then you started working with a Grammy Award winning producer, Red One, who pretty much produced for Ariana Grande, Jay Lowe, and Nicki Minaj. Give us that experience. And what was your favorite process working with him? Yeah. And, you know, this experience really speaks to relationships. And and I met Red One because he was managed by another producer named Jeremy Scaller that I signed to Primary Wave. Jeremy's now, you know, someone that I work closely on the business side and is also a friend, but he was a producer turned record executive. And so coming on uh, to work with Alan Molina and Red One, they were in a transitional state with coming off of massive hits. I mean, Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, Enrique Iglesias, like you couldn't have had bigger hits. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was just so exciting to, you know, be around that creative energy. Mm-hmm. And working with them. What did you learn from him coming out of that? I learned go big. Or go home from Red One because he, I, when I like when I say this amazing creative Red One was massive. I mean, it's hard to even name other producers that have had like his number. Like his records didn't just go to number one; they stayed yeah. at number one. Yeah. Um, and so it gave me a perspective. Like I didn't want to be at like number 20 on the chart, like, like things to me that were wins actually because of the perspective that red one gave me actually mm-hmm. were failures. And mm-hmm. so I reached a lot higher. Well, so it was like a whole new plateau for you pretty much. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then from then you started working with Spotify. How did that come about? After uh, leaving Red One, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in publishing. There was, you know, rumblings of a new creative team coming to Spotify. I saw an article that uh, Troy Carter, who I admired so much but didn't know well, was coming to run the music side of Spotify. They didn't understand much about technology. And I used Spotify, but not like faithfully at that time, you know? Um, (laughs) So, but once I learned more about the role and really there wasn't much to learn about the role because there were goals in building a bridge to the songwriter and creative community, but there was no real template. No one had had that role. I founded an entire department. Um, And so those aspects I really liked because they were entrepreneurial and it felt like the future. Mm -hmm. And then, so how does somebody get a position like that at Spotify? Like, what do they have to work towards and stuff like that to get to that type of position? 
Because, I mean, it, it takes a lot of practice, obviously, but what do you think are some, like, keys to it? You know, everyone has different uh, skill sets, and so the key is really knowing your own and owning it and branding yourself as that. Mm -hmm. So throughout my career, even though I've worn a ton of different hats from Kanye to being a songwriter on Making the Band and working as a publisher for a bunch of different people, really through that all, the common denominator is that I have songwriter and producer relationships. Mm -hmm. So instead of being like, I jumped all over the place, it was like, no one knows songwriters and producers more than me. I'm one of them. I was a songwriter. I understand the business of it. I was a publisher. So I led with that and, and it, it was a great fit. What do you think are some like challenges as a songwriter when it comes to finishing a song but like it's because I've, I've met people like I've met artists that know how to write very very well but they just don't know how to promote it or get it out there or people say get a manager get the but even that can be kind of tough what are some other loopholes they can go through what is the role of a manager in 2020 what's the role of a label in 2020 what, you know all this is like a and r artists have a direct line to their fans Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking of Spotify, you can put your song on there and promote it yourself and you can use your social channels. So whether you're using TikTok, whether you're using Twitch, whether you're, you're using your Instagram, um, you have to find your audience. You can do covers. You can, you know, Lil Nas X had a meme blow him up. So many different ways. You can be featured on somebody's song. And so you just have to plant a lot of fucking seeds. Mm -hmm. And then you moved on to a bigger role and you founded Beat House. For a woman, what was that like building that? Thank you for describing that as a bigger role. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the transition was, it felt like a risk. It felt like jumping off a cliff. Right. I was super excited, but nervous about it as well. And I wanted to feel like I was still popping and not mm -hmm. falling off the face of the music industry. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, there was, and it was definitely different because I'm a, a female entrepreneur right. and I'm a woman that's a leader and the CEO of a company that, you know, the, the environment of the music industry is very male driven, basically in all aspects. Like, mm -hmm. look at all the songwriters and producers. It was, you know, we, we tried to do as much diversity and inclusion as we could at Spotify, but mm -hmm. that's the climate that we're in. Look at our ARs, look at our, you know, senior level executives, or mm -hmm. it's very male dominated, like studio environments, look at late night studio sessions, relationships with artists calling me late at night, all of those things to consider for a woman that I think we try to just be like, you know, we can push through, but there, it, it, it crosses your mind, you know, crossed my mind when I was launching Beat House. And, you know, I'm still working through that process. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's, for me, it's, 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 I've, I've said this before in this podcast and I've said this to many people is I prefer to work with women as opposed to men because there's a certain ego with men and there's a certain competitiveness with men as opposed to women. I've always gotten shit done with women. Like there's no egos there. There's no, it's, I find myself working better with that aspect. So how, do you, how does someone who's a female, but, and wants to get their feet in, in the music industry or in the entertainment industry overall, but has never worked with a male before, how does she adjust to that climate? Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if, any, if, if people are gravitating towards one gender or another maybe, but like, 
the music industry is also such that we're gravitating to what's hot. So if you have heat on you, if you if you're female A and R and you've signed something hot, like you're gonna you're going to have a lot of people wanting to work with you. It's really like the proof is in the pudding with the music industry Mm -hmm. for the most part. It's just also how women need to lean on each other more when they're in those positions of power and Mm -hmm. give each other those looks and, you know, for women breaking through to have that fearlessness to sit at the table. Now, where did the, where did the name Beat House come from? It came from wanting the music connection to the name, which is Beat and also you know, me spending years and so much time at Soho House all day, every day. And the idea that like this, you know, not that it's an exclusive team, but that, you know, you want to be a part of it, like Soho House, that we don't let anybody in. And so that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. What are some what are some other things coming up with, with Beat House that you have going on? You know, we're building the roster. We have you know, Killboy dropping records. A1 Bentley, who's now known as Spring Break, is dropping records as Spring Break the artist. He's also working with amazing talents from Chris Brown to Jeremiah to French Montana, doing a chunk of that album with our other writer, Araz, Wiz Khalifa, Post Malone. So they are in the mix with a lot of heavy hitter artists on the songwriting and producing side. Um, we also have Notice, who is a prolific talent as a writer, rapper, and artist. He mm-hmm. dropped a song called All About Cake mm-hmm. that is doing super well. And so go stream that. Um, we just brought on Kyle. You made that, the producer of that song. He's going to be dropping an album as an artist with features. And he's like TikTok king. So a lot of big sounds on TikTok have gone super viral millions and millions of videos on tiktok uh so mm-hmm. kyle you made that definitely look out for him more mm-hmm. now you're a woman with that wears many different hats like you said anything else you would like to share with the world that they don't already know about you outside of music and what are some like hobbies that you like to do that are outside of music i love yoga i love hiking i love um, to be with people that i love and um, spend time with my friends And, you know, through it all, there is no weekends for me. I'm Mm -hmm. not one of those people that's like, I'm working all the time, 24 hours, let's get Mm -hmm. it at all. I'm the opposite of that. But (laughs) music is always on my mind, you know, and so I can't just turn it off. I'm always listening to new artists. I'm always listening to people that DM me Mm -hmm. and checking stuff out. And so, you know, that's the advice I would give to other people as Mm -hmm. well you know, and, and just hustle it, build your relationships. Your network is your net worth. That's true. Mm-hmm. And be fearless. Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned that you literally are not the type of person that would like, get up and let's go get it. How do you start your day? How do you process that? How do you start your day? When you... Lately during quarantine, I haven't even been setting an alarm. So, you know, I was used to like, you know, Spotify, it's like I was running on no sleep, falling asleep with my laptop on me for years. And I just, um, I want to be creative now. So I wake up super leisurely, I'll listen to like a meditation or, you know, make a couple phone calls, but then I'll go for a run, clear my mind, listen to music, get some ideas, come back, do Zoom calls head to my studio, which is in the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. Every day is completely different. There's no 
template for how a day at Beat House goes. Have you have you uh, thought about like writing your own, like making your own album and putting it out as an artist or? Definitely not. That's the last thing I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is that? What, 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 why, why say that? Um, I'm a, a behind the scenes person. I don't think I have enough talent to be an artist. I'm 36 years old. I have artists that are signed to me. I need mm-hmm. to be an executive. There's a million reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you would say your favorite role would probably be playing the executive as opposed to being on the other side of the fence. Oh, absolutely. I, I love, you know, and I'm thankful that I spent that time as a creative mm-hmm. in the studio and understood what, uh, you know, creative people go through and, you know, it helped me be a better executive. Mm-hmm. What are some cons uh, that you can say for upcoming executive, female executives? What, can, what are some cons they can expect from that? I mean, there's a lot of industries that are unstable, but I, you know, I've been on a complete roller coaster with my career, mostly because I've taken my own risks and like blown up my career and started again many times. But, mm-hmm. you know, you've just got to maintain relationships again because you never know that intern could be the next CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Now, towards the end of the podcast, I do these 10 questions that are, have rapid answers that I got from James Lipton, who was the host of Inside the Actors Studios. The first question is, what is your favorite word? Right now, it's resilience. What is your least favorite word? Failure. I don't think there's any such thing as failing. Mm -hmm. What turns you on? Other people that get excited about their creativity. What turns you off? Dishonesty. What sound or noise do you love? The ocean. What sound or noise do you hate? Motorcycles. Really? <laughs> yeah. They're always so loud outside my window. What is your favorite curse word? I use a lot. Fuck. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Mm. Maybe on the like marketing advertising side. What profession would you not like to do? Um, anything sports related. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. And this is going to be a warm home filled with light and love. Any last words you'd like to give? Any shout outs? And where can they follow you on social? At Tiff Star with two R's, Kumar on Instagram. Um, beathousella.com follow all of our artists where you can find in both those places shout out to the entire Beat House team and all of our roster Spring Break, Killboy, 48 Glow Araz, Notice and everybody that's part of our team alright guys this was episode 34 of Intuitive Minds Podcast peace